everybody. This is Mike Shea uh, here on uh, the Don't Split the Podcast Network with the DMs Deep Dive. It is my great pleasure to bring on Adam Koble tonight to talk about Dungeon World and what it means for D&D. Adam, would you like to introduce yourself? It's your great pleasure, huh? It we'll is see my how you're great feeling. pleasure. We'll see how you're feeling at the end of the I mean, episode. Honestly, it's not my greatest pleasure, but it's a, it's <laughs> up there among, among pleasures. Right. It's it's a it seven to nine. Off. It's the seven to nine of pleasure. Sure. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I can I can introduce myself. Um. So I mean, th this intro varies wildly depending on the audience. Um. You may know me Nerds. as uh the co-designer of uh, award-winning tabletop role-playing game Dungeon World, which is a award-winning tabletop role-playing game that I co-designed. Yeah, that bad boy. Um, so I designed that with Sage Latora. Um, you may also uh, know me uh, from uh, my work on Twitch. I'm a full-time Twitch broadcaster, and I'm a GM in residence for Roll20, and also the head GM for Roleplay. Um, I run four RPG campaigns on Twitch every week, so I'm busy, busy rolling imaginary dice. So what do you do with your free time? <laughs> yeah, right. Free time. <laughs> sure. Uh, I'm supposed to be designing a game uh, about wizards and marijuana, but um, <laughs> I'm trying. That's my that's my spare time. Now um, you got me hooked. I'm, I want to. Oh, that. dude. Yeah. Womb of Night's going to be nuts, um, <laughs> but it's, it's so weird. And I have to I have to like portion out the weirdness or I would lose my mind. I awesome. Think. Awesome. Um, so I, I have been a big fan of Dungeon World uh, for for many years. I didn't quite get in on the. You kickstarted it, right? It was. We did. It was a kickstarted yeah. right in the early days when not everything in the world was kickstarted. Yeah, this was pre. This was like pre Monty Cook turning Kickstarter into a tabletop RPG right. uh, preview platform. Right. Um, right. Yeah, yeah, we were we're old school. Um, when and, I, yeah, when I when I think about Dungeon World, um, I'm reminded of a Brian a Brian Eno quote about Velvet Underground. Of, of all things, where he said that the first Velvet, I, I wrote the quote here, I don't have it memorized. The first Velvet Underground album, album sold only 10,000 copies, but everyone who bought it formed a band. And, yeah. And I, I feel that way about this book. Like, you know, not everybody in the world knows what Dungeon World is, but everybody who's read Dungeon World became a game designer. Yeah, and it's, it's funny too, because like, I, I feel like there's there's some like band before that that didn't get quoted that is just like that's the Vincent Baker of this whole situation that's just sitting there right. with their guitar being like yeah like yeah. what you know okay. yeah right, right, right. <laughs> yeah and that's the interesting I mean you're right obviously so it came from Apocalypse World yeah um, you know the whole the whole core of the game came from Apocalypse World but I I, I you know and I have nothing I'm gonna say something you can say yeah that's that's totally wrong uh, it certainly feels like Dungeon World has more attention overall than Apocalypse World. Well, like, I mean, I think that the reason for that is like, like Apocalypse World is a fantastic game. It is a stellar game. And it feels like, and I think you've seen a lot of people in the design space try to quest for like, what is the skeleton that underlies Apocalypse World? Like, what is the, what's the unified field theory of the powered by the apocalypse systems? There isn't one. But I think that people kind of forget because they're just like, oh, Apocalypse World, that's that post-apocalyptic PBTA game. Right, rather than seeing it as the the origin point, <laughs> the actual. I mean, Dungeon World. Dungeon World was was designed to be easy to consume by the audience that was going to consume it. Right, like we made it so that it would be uh, really easy to get on board with if you were already like, I like dungeons and I like dragons and I don't like anything else. Get out of my face. Mm -hmm. So um, mm -hmm. that was kind of our our foot in the door. Yeah. So for you know, and on this show, we we try to pick a topic and dive dive deep into it. But if we step up just a little bit for the D and D nerds who may not have heard about Dungeon World, do you have like an elevator pitch? 
uh, you should buy it, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, like, just give me your money in exchange. I agree with that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like our our design goal when we made Dungeon World, uh, and Dungeon World would be a very different game if we made it today than when we made it, because yeah, we made it in the that. we made it in the nebulous space between four e and five. Right. Um, and we we designed it to play at the table like what we remembered learning D&D and playing D&D as kids was like, where we were like, you knew that there were mechanisms, but you didn't really think about them all the time. And then occasionally someone would be like, wait a second, we got to roll dice. Uh, and so we designed a game that was going to do that. That would be like, okay, here are the times when you roll the dice, but mostly it's just about like describing cool shit. Uh, mm -hmm. And that, that, was our, that was kind of our goal. So it's been really sort of appealing to folks who I think have been like mechanically burned out on um, the way that Dungeons and Dragons, like the level to which it's got mechanisms uh, in the sort of in the moment, uh, or people that, like you say, want to be able to easily build their own stuff. Because you can make stuff for, for 5e, but we, we built this chapter in, in Dungeon World and we licensed it such that like, go, go and do it. And people are and did, which is really nice. Yeah, yeah, I and mean, just and I think it fits that 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 idea of like when we see at the time the evolution of D and D from three to three point five to four, and that's yeah. that that heavy heavy focus on mechanics, heavy you know, the huge explosion of character options and everything like that, and then you go right to Dungeon World, and it's it, it feels like you know the white box. Yeah, well, it's it's funny because five E's biting our steez like real hard, right? Like. Mm -hmm. When, when 5e came out, they were like, well, we want this to appeal to everyone, including people who don't really want to engage with the mechanisms. And like, here's a bunch of stuff for making your, your 5e game feel more like Dungeon World. Right. Um, which is awesome that's, and that's, cool. That's what we want you to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> but it. like when we designed it, when we designed it, it was very much like uh, the, the, if you wanted to play D&D, it was the tactical combat board game of, of 4e, which I've gone on record many times saying I like, but it wasn't the D&D I wanted to be playing. Mm -hmm. Or you would be playing Pathfinder or 3.5 or second edition or whatever. Um, and uh, none of those are really doing it for us. And so as with many game designers, you end up in this place where you're like, I want to play this game. This game does not exist. Yeah. Yes, I, I have to write it. Yeah. Yeah. And it was one of a few different games at the time that felt like we're all not, they all didn't go the exact same way, but they are mm. all kind of like going, okay, we went a little overboard with 4E. Let's head in this other direction. So you have like 13th Age and Fate, you know, and um, yeah. Numenera, you know, these other games that kind of said, we're going to return to the heavy story focus you know, the, the, the bigger story focus of. Yeah, I think it's like, I mean, I think that one of the big f sort of false dichotomies in tabletop role-playing is that you get a mechanically focused game or a story focused game, mm -hmm. right? Like I think that a lot of like Burning Wheel, for example, I think I got what, 10 minutes in before mentioning it? Burning <laughs> Wheel uh, is a game that, that is both. It's very mechanically complex, but it allows players to tell uh, a very deep nuanced story. Um, and so I think that it's it's more about like the amount of time at the table that you spend on any given topic, right? Like if you sit down for four hours and three hours of that is referencing rules and moving minis around and stuff, that's one game experience versus a game where you sit down and three hours is just like bullshitting with your friends and an hour is rolling dice and doing math. That's sort of the other thing. Um, but I, yeah, I don't know that that it's like mechanisms versus narrative necessarily. It's just kind of like what comes first or what's prioritized in the system. Right. Right, right, yeah, and I want to talk a lot about that, about that with the, uh, your your experience with Pathfinder too. Mm, mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, but first, I want to ask my first question. This yes. is, that was all just intro. Um, <laughs> what? So, as you know, as a co-creator of Dungeon World and somebody who's been you know kind of heavily involved in Five E, having played a lot of Five E on streams yeah. and everything like that.
have and, and knowing those people and talking to them. What are your, keep, keeping all of that in, in context, what are your top three tips uh, for, for running great D&D games? So just like stock out of the box D&D, I think leaves uh, a lot too. And, and you can see this not only in the game's design, but in the conversations that the people who made the game uh, are having, right? There's a lot of emphasis from people like Mike Merles or Jeremy Crawford on the DM does most of the work and the DM's personal preferences and uh, priorities in the game are what make the game. Uh, but the Dungeon Master's Guide doesn't really support making that like possible there's still in dnd there's still a degree of like dungeon mastering is magic and you can just figure it out and become good and like mm -hmm. your style will dictate the game um so if you feel like the game is not supporting you as a dungeon master in telling you like what to do moment to moment don't worry you're not alone because that's the whole game um so I think, I think first of all, like trying a bunch of different stuff, like trying a bunch of different kinds of campaign, uh, trying a bunch of different um, approaches. Like don't think that the first time you sit down and run 5e that you're gonna like nail it, either your own style or like the mechanics or any of that stuff. Um, the other thing, turn over as much of the mechanics to your players as you can. Like I, in, in many of the groups that I have, I have players who I know at any given moment, I can just be like, how does this thing work? because I don't remember, because I'm too busy juggling 17 other things. So like offloading some of the mechanical weight onto the players uh, is really, really helpful, uh, especially if you can trust your, your players to like remember and handle that stuff. Um, and then I think like play other games, like not in, not like don't play D&D, play something else, but like try out a bunch of different games. Like if you play Fiasco and Microscope and Apocalypse World and Burning Wheel and uh, Stars Without Number, if you try all of those games, like even just one shots of them and you go back to D&D, your D&D game will dramatically be different. And this doesn't even have to be games that are like vastly different. Like we're not talking about like you have to go play Night Witches. You could just play different versions of D&D. Like sit down for an eight hour session of basic D&D. Right? Sit down with Molve and it will give you a ton of insight into how 5e can work. Because again, 5e just leaves this big hole for you to fill. And instead of filling it with like, I guess this might work, you can fill it with, this is how another game does this. How can I adapt and adjust, right? And I think that D&D is designed, 5e D&D at least, is designed for that. It's just like, there's a big hole where the GM goes and you are gonna have to do all the work in that regard. Um, so like offload all the other stuff to the players and then play a bunch of games. Yeah, I think that um, that was something that grabbed me uh, about Dungeon World, even mm. kind of before Five E, uh, is is that you 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 codify how to prep and run yeah. the game. You kind of say first session, this is what you're going to do. You're going to get to learn the characters. You're going to understand their backgrounds and threads. You're going to kind of tie those together, and you're going to start to build the seed of a story. And yeah. then when you're done, you go and you pull out that campaign sheet and you start filling out all the major beats that are going to happen there out your fronts and um, you know, all of the, all of the aspects of that. And I think that that is, it's a really interesting take, you know, it's, it's something that, you know, you've heard of opinionated software, right? Software that has a particular way it expects you to program when you're using it. And I think of it as like an opinionated RPG. There's mm. many different ways to play an RPG. We're going to pick one of those and codify that. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, that's that's good design, right? Like if you don't give people the tools to succeed at your game and then they fail, you can't blame them. You can't be like, well, 
you screwed up because we just left this massive gap. Like we wanted to provide a framework that said at any given moment, this is what you should be doing, but we're not going to tell you how to do that. We're going to say, do one of these things, like make a move. Here's a list of them or do a thing and then figure out what move that is. Uh, and the same goes for prep. It goes for moment to moment. It goes for advancement, like all the stuff in the game. We wanted to give people concrete opportunities to take action uh, in their game which is like somehow even decades into the way that uh, the, the games have been designed, we're still seeing games that are just unwilling to tell dungeon masters or game masters how to play the game for fear of stepping on their toes. Like, oh, you're the dungeon master, but you, you, you can figure it out. We're sorry, sir. Please, <laughs> please don't, don't offend it. You can play your game. You know, like it's, there's this weird kind of like tone in a lot of games that are afraid to just say, this is how you DM, do it. If you do it differently, that's fine too, but we're gonna right. give you. We're gonna yeah, give you're away. you're off warranty if you do it any other way, and that's cool. <laughs> that's fine. Here's a chapter on how to break the warranty, how to hack the game, right? Like if you don't like the way the software we've given you operates, here is a tool to redesign that software. But yo, if you run it as written, you will have a, an approximation of the experience we want you to have when we design this game. So yeah, I think that, and I'm sure this is not you know, obvious to you that being able to to write as an independent RPG a lot of those boundary, you know, like if, if you, if, if, if we were sitting down to have to do sixth edition, you have to look back at all of the players and all of what they bring. And it's, you know, well, they're, it's, it's, they're in a much harder even, state to, to, to put them in that. In that, It's land. not even that, right? Like it's, it's yes, there's, if you're making a new edition of, of uh, the, the world's most popular role-playing game registered trademark, um, you're, you're, yes, you're beholden to the history that that game comes with. And this is something that we've seen talked about in D&D spaces all the time. This idea of like, we included this because we have to, but I as a designer hate it, right? Yeah, right. Initiative, yeah, alignment, yeah. like all of these things that if you Natural cut, scores. if you cut them, if you cut them from the game, people will be like, wait a second, this isn't insert name of famous role-playing game here, right? The other thing though, like the thing that is almost like, I would say it's it's more significant is that's looking down towards your fans but if you are wizards of the coast you have hasbro behind you being like make money <laughs> or you're fired or we'll put you on the magic team and then you'll get fired like there's there's this intense pressure and, and that's what's so nice about interacting every interaction i've ever had every conversation i've ever had with mike merles about DD. there have been lots of times where he's been like yeah we put that in there because we wanted to sell copies of the game mm -hmm. Like this was to get people to buy D&D. And that's like, it's valid. But Sage and I, when we made Dungeon World, we were like, what do we want? To make 100 copies of this game. And hopefully people <laughs> will buy it and like break even. And then cool, we get to play it. We just wanted to make the game for ourselves and right. then anybody else who might also want it. And that was ages ago. And there's lots and lots of copies of Dungeon World floating around now because yeah. other people wanted the same thing we did. Yeah, it's a, there's a wonderful degree in, in freedom in that. So what were, what were your thoughts? So you, you mentioned that Dungeon World came out during this sort of weird gap uh, in the fourth edition pathfinder sort of world, fourth edition. Well, I guess it was 2013, right? So... Yeah, I mean, it was edition World, was still around at that. As point. with as with so many as with so many uh, you know role playing games, Dungeon World has been released several times, right? Like there was a, a little hundred print thing we did for Gen Con in 2011, mm -hmm. then the PDF came out in 2012, and then the final like it's done, get it out of here was yeah early <laughs> early 2013, right? Yeah. So, so and and fifth edition came out in 2015. I, I time has lost all meaning. For all me. right. Something it's like just, that. It's so it's been out forever. Dungeon but World had been out a couple of years, roughly, yeah. but before fifth edition came out, although the, I guess the playtest would have been out 
Not, yeah, not, Dungeon yeah. Dungeon World was around. It was around just long enough for Mike and Jeremy and them to read it and be like, yeah. "This is cool. We're going to use some of this." Yeah, right. We'll get into that too. But what were yeah. your thoughts when Fifth Edition came out? I mean, I'm excited when a new edition of anything that I like comes out. Like uh, any any game that I'm attached to or interested in that's been sitting on a new release, uh, I I love it. I'm excited. So even if it ended up being terrible. I was like, this is cool. I'll read this. I'll check it out. Um, I think they came out of the gate really strong. Like, I think that starter box, the Lost Minds of Fandelver, is the best starter product Wizards of the Coast or TSR has ever released. Like, I think it's more important or more like attached to the rules than even the red box was. And I think that that was a really good start. And everything that I saw after that felt like you could feel their design goal, right? The idea that they were releasing a game that anybody who has ever wanted to play D&D or had played D&D would find something in it that they loved. They also had to deal with the backlash of everyone who has ever played D&D will find something in it they hate. Yeah. But I think, I mean, if you look at, if you look at it, like they're, they're succeeding. Um, sure. Sage, Sage once, once said, and, and this is like, this is one of my favorite quotes about, about fifth edition. Uh, it's everybody's second favorite version of D anD. d Like everybody, <laughs> like the first loves one it. is whatever your original. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, whatever, right. whatever else is their favorite. So they'll be like, yeah, five E is pretty good. Like but I'd I like rather, yeah. I'd rather be playing second. Right. Or like five E is pretty good, but it's no third. Yeah. Right. Like and, and everybody Four says that or yeah. did up until I think the last like year and a half or two years when like critical role really took off and we got this massive insurgence of new D and D fans who do not even know that there are other versions of D and D that are just like, this is the only role playing game that exists because right. Matt Mercer said it is. Right. And, and that's it. That's all there is. There's no other role playing game. And Look in 20 years, you'll be saying, yeah, right. 17th edition isn't bad, but I really liked fifth. Right, exactly. I mean, people will say that people will say that about sixth, right? And like, right. It'll, it'll just continue to happen. And this, this is a the nature of the beast, right? New editions of stuff will always have people who are like, you took all the things that I didn't like, and you got rid of them, and now this is the best version of this game. And there will always be people who are like, where's all the good stuff? Right. So that's just the that's the thing they have to wrestle with. Yeah. Uh, so as a as a co creator of Dungeon World, what what do you feel that D and D five E does particularly well? I think that it's easy. It has a weird sort of flat curve. It's easy to get into and you max out on its complexity pretty quick. Um, like you get more and more to do as you level up and as you play longer, as you follow the narrative arc of a character, um, you get more mechanics, you're given more things to do. I think that it handles that quite nicely. Um, and it never gets so complicated that you look back at like first level and are like, I should have made different decisions, right? You, you get a pretty clear arc from start to, to whenever your campaign ends. Um, I really, really like from a product standpoint, the way that they are releasing books, because as someone who played D&D in, in the kind of dark ages where it was like every month there was two or three terrible D&D books released. <laughs> and then next month there were two or three more and they just kept churning out terrible garbage. Is this the second edition or third yeah. edition? Days? Like sec second. second, like it was really bad in second. It was better at the beginning of third and then it got worse when the, the D20 license stuff came out. But I really like that they are like leaned back, that they're just like, we're only going to put out a book a year maybe two, uh, and then the DMs Guild as a, as a thing. Um, so it's nice. There isn't this like massive pile of um, stuff I have to keep up with. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think that they've done a great job making it like this kind of non-threatening, easy to get into version of D&D, which we haven't had uh, in a long time, probably since like the mid 80s, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
yeah. did you feel as a as a second edition player did you feel like second edition managed to to, to do that at all or a lot of people I, compared fifth to the second as far as I think, yeah, I think if you, if you look at, if you look at like the great and terrible branching Yggdrasil that is Dungeons and Dragons' lineage, I definitely think the most direct line you can draw is from second edition to fifth. Uh, I think it bypasses a lot of the complexity and, and nuance, uh, mechanical nuance of third and 3.5 and Pathfinder. Uh, but I think that's a great call. I think that's really good because there was no way that it would be as successful as it is now if it were as complex as third is, if they had yeah. just down on that. And and but, certainly the the fact that they did not, they have not started putting out like two products a month, like second edition means they sort of hit that simplicity and directness of the game in second without any of the overhead of too much, you know, too much churn, product turn. Yeah. Right. Yeah, well, and I think the business is in a lot better place than it was, obviously, in second edition because they just went, <laughs> yeah. like, I, as far as I know, they're not going bankrupt, which is what happened when I started playing D&D. &D. Um, right. So there's not a warehouse with a million products that are not getting shipped. Right. Yeah, there isn't constant, constant terror that they're going to they're going to get dropped. But uh, yeah, so it's I think they're they're doing good as a business, which means that they can put out good material and they can hire good artists. And like, I think that it's, it's a good place to be as a person who likes Dungeons and Dragons. Um, I think they're doing, they're doing good work because they're taking their time and they're dedicating themselves to like each individual product instead of being like, here's 27 campaign settings. <laughs> now we got 27 campaign settings on the DM skill, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's a whole, that's a whole other ecosystem. And I think that to a degree, uh, it's it's a smart move on Wizards' part because they can take a step back, right? Yeah, they can right. Be like, if you hate the happens. DMs Guild, yeah. and if you're like you are someone who's like your vitriol, you aim it at that and that right. ecosystem and that marketplace. Wizards doesn't take that hit, so they've been able to distance themselves from that a little bit. It's and it seems like it's worked out well for them. Yeah, totally. So yeah. this is always a dangerous nerd question, but where where does Fifth Edition not hit the mark? Inspiration. Inspiration sucks. <laughs> it's the stupidest mechanic. I hate it. It feels so detached from everything else. It has the same name as another mechanism that is different, which is ludicrous. Oh, uh, inspiration? Yeah, it's just the yeah. worst. It's not, it, it's, so, okay, the, the reason that this, and I laughed so hard when I read it. So, um, do you know Logan Bonner? Yeah. He works at Paizo. Yeah. So, yeah. Logan has a game. It's the most ridiculous role-playing game called Refuge in Audacity. And the game is meant to be this, like, silly, riff on like mid 90s rpgs but it has a mechanism in it called the good role playing rule and you're supposed to have as the gm a special d20 the biggest one you have or like maybe it's shiny or maybe it flashes or whatever you have this one and whenever anybody does good role playing you give them the d20 and then they can roll that d20 and another one and pick whichever one they like best so when i saw inspiration i was like oh this is just that rule making fun of good rp rewards in yeah. Refuge and Audacity, because that's what it feels like. It's just like, cool, you talked in your character voice. Here's uh, inspiration. <laughs> oh, you did something that I thought was fun. Here's inspiration. Like, I don't, it's bad. It's a bad, very like half-assed system to throw in. Is um, your, is your recommend? I mean, so I, I think I recall a conversation you had with Merle's about it. And, and Merle's kind of said, like, you can tell which stuff we were sort of throwing in at the end because they're not actually connected to anything else that's in the game. Like, there's no, there's no really other, not. other than the inspiration piece that's in the book. It's, there's no spell that benefits from it. There's no feat that works with it. It's, it's an yeah. independent mechanic. Well, so rather, rather than just saying, like, it sucks, the, the reason why I think it's a terrible mechanic is because... It does this thing where in the groups that I have where everyone is just role playing all the time and being awesome, I never give it out because I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you're, you're being great all the time. I guess you just always have inspiration. It's 
tied to so if you have a group of people who are like shy or uncomfortable and then somebody's just like right. my character has an irish accent you, yeah you're like cool you get rewarded because so it doesn't allow for mixed groups because then the person who's role-playing all the time should just be like where's my inspiration give it right. to me why, why are you screwing the introvert mechanically right yeah <laughs> and then and then the and then the other thing the other thing that bugs me about it is it's connected to mechanically it's connected to your character sheet there are four like your flaw your bond your whatever it's connected to those but if you have four players in your group the gm has to remember 16 character things so that they can reward them when they come up right because right. you don't want a player who's just like ah yes I remember you. You look just like the princess, and then just stare at the GM like, right, like huh? Huh? Yeah. Where's my, huh? Where's Memories my of the princess? Give me my answer. Like, right. right. No, and that's the thing is you just you just like sit there and you're like, what are you? Why are you staring at me? What do you want? <laughs> right. Like I'm busy. I'm Fuck reading. Off. I'm trying to, yeah, I'm trying to GM. You can <laughs> I got things to do. <laughs> you can bend it, you can hack it, you can modify it, you can make it like the player's responsibility. You can uh like Basically, every campaign that I've ever run, inspiration has drifted in some way or another, and I've seen right. some really cool ways to, to right. do it. Um, but as written, it is, it's just, it's so hand-wavy. Like, right. it's, the, even the book, and, and I asked, I asked on Twitter, I asked Jeremy and, and Mike, I was like, when do you give out inspiration? And yeah, they both were that. like, whenever you want. And I'm yeah. like, that's not that's, a rule. That's a terrible answer. That's a stupid <laughs> Like, how do, I, how do I attack? I don't know. Just feel it with your heart. Like, <laughs> no, tell me which die to use. Right. So I yeah I don't I don't know I yeah. just, I, I, I would almost eliminate it completely like I, I I get it and like and I I think that I I had a bad habit of using it as like the happy DM cookie where like you know I I, I player does something my players you know, are not I'm sitting on my golden throne and one of the players does something that amuses me I will give them the happy the happy well, they're tip. not I mean your players aren't they're not kindergarten students <laughs> right? right it's not like <laughs> good good boy you RP'd here you go like. <laughs> The one, I thing I, so. the one thing I've used it for, and, and I, I think I got a little bit of this. I think I got this from uh, Rob Hainso uh, in 13th Age is like when characters put themselves in danger, they might not otherwise put themselves in. It's a, it's a nice thing to hand to somebody where they know the mechanical benefit they're going to get from it. And, it. and it gives them that shove of like, go ahead and step in the goddamn room. I mean, there are, there, are, <laughs> there are a dozen systems that do this exact thing better, right? Mm -hmm. Like there are games that reward players for playing their characters. There are games that reward good, cool narration, right? And these are all over the place in terms of how they do it, but they're just a lot better. Like if you want your players to be rewarded for a behavior, be clear about what that behavior is and then let them do the thing. So it's it's just, for me, I find it really cumbersome as a GM, and I, I almost always use forget. it, or do you just throw it out? I, I use it, usually chat yells at me. <laughs> so I'm, I'm totally You've got okay an audience you're, you're responsible yeah. for. Honestly, if I could mechanize it that way, if we could have a little applause meter where chat just clicks the inspo button, <laughs> that's, that's way there's better. There's gotta that be a way to set that up. It's a better system. Because yeah, there's I gotta don't, be a way where, where you're just, you're just that is that that just came to me as it feels like one of the best uses of Twitch chat ever is I mean Tenra inspiration. They, Tenra they, Bancho Tenra Bancho Zero does this, right? Tenra, when you're playing Tenra, the players who are not currently in the scene are the audience. And in the game they have physical tokens. And they the Tenra set gives you foam ones because you, you're supposed to throw them at the players who are doing <laughs> awesome. So when you like all it is is when you like someone's performance, you can take your little pool of things you got at the beginning of the session and just chuck them at them and be like, ah, like it and it's it's so fun because it's clear and obvious. And you're just like, yay, here, have the tokens. You're doing great. We're cheering for you. 
Um, and so, yeah, we've, we've played a little bit about that. Um, we, we used the Tenra on a one shot I did for uh, Roll 20 Con years ago. And I just told people in chat, I was like, if you want to throw uh, you know, your points at a person, uh, use this, this string of characters. And I just looked for the emote in chat and I was like, oh, like everybody wants Jesse to get the, the bonus. So Jesse, chat loves you, take some points. Um, and yeah, I think that's totally a thing. That's how I do it because I forget. And like, again, like I said, I'm blessed with players who I think just every time they open their damn mouths, they should get inspiration. <laughs> so it just raises the bar uh, so much higher. And I just forget. I'm like, oh, I should be rewarding you for this like deep seated thing that you're doing with your character. But like, <laughs> I'm paying attention. So I've, I, I forgot about it. But sure. I think, I mean, I think it's as far as the whole mechanical landscape of, of D&D goes, it is the easiest to just kind of be like, either this is dumb, we don't use it, or like, whatever here, we'll just, we'll just give it up whenever. Um, I think there are a few other places where the balance like is off and I'm not a big like gearhead about D and D. Like I, I couldn't tell you the reasons why the, the Beastmaster Ranger sucks, but Beastmaster Ranger stuck. <laughs> um, there's a few classes that are kind of like play this. If you want to RP a failure, um, <laughs> I don't like I don't like uh, uh, challenge rating. I think challenge rating and the number of uh, supposed number of encounters per day. Yeah, those are those are they're wrong. They're wrong and broken. Um, yeah. I've I've never had those work out correctly. Like sometimes you build a medium encounter and and everybody dies, and sometimes yeah. you build the deadliest encounter you can come up yeah. with, and the players just roll it, cast a spell, and it's done. Yeah, so it's yeah. it's a whole it's a whole thing. Um, yeah. But I, again, I think that that's like easily hand waved by just being like these are general guidelines and you can kind of like you know uh use them use them to inspire you but don't necessarily like i don't know there's if they wanted you to adhere directly to the what is it like eight encounters in a day or something yeah and it's a, it's a confusing thing because people get people get stuck on the idea that that's like the defined amount of encounters that should mm. happen when the reality is it's just saying no this is we don't expect your days are going to work out like this but this is generally how the math is supposed to work out, right? It's not it's yeah. not meant to be a perfect model, but people kind of like you said, when when it gets to a game that's teaching people how to DM, they look at that and they're they're like grab they're like a somebody drowning, reaching for anything that will float. And they look at that and say, There, there's something like now I've got a model to run my game around. Eight encounters. You know? Well, and it's 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 tough. You know, you're trying to build, you're not tuning a video game, right? Like you can't as the as a game designer, you can't specifically orient every single encounter because you don't know the skill of the players. You don't know, it doesn't take into account the makeup. Like if we're if we're playing a group of uh all Beastmaster Rangers and you throw <laughs> like an easy encounter at us, we'll probably all die. Like it doesn't take that into account into bad. account. And like I know I'm just <laughs> I'm using it as an example. But you know, like a, a group that has its bases covered, and if you go back to 4E, like 4E never had any of these problems because it was a, a very oh, controlled it was a very know, controlled man. environment. Well, in the sense that like, <laughs> once I hit Paragon tier, the rails were off. <laughs> right. But for, for most for most people, I think you could use these guidelines. And the game specifically said, like, play a care, play these four types of characters, yeah, pick right. from these groups, yeah. build your party like this. Yeah. And then you can you can assume from from that and that perfect linear growth of bonuses and everything else. Yeah, yeah. but there's definitely ways to uh, to sort of break that math. Yeah. And so I think that it's not even that it's bad. It's just that it's um, it's like a little a little knowledge is too it's it's dangerous, right? Yeah. Looking at like you said, like if a GM looks at it and they're like, I'm going to do this exact thing that the Dungeon Master's Guide says, they'll be surprised when they're like, Cool, 
party of second level adventurers. Here's like a young white dragon. Okay, he's dead on the second round because you just alpha strike and then he never got to take an action. So yeah, I think the more or the, the opposite. Like, Whoop, he breathes, you're all dead. Yeah, yeah. And I like I kind of like that it's super swingy uh at the yeah. beginning of the, at the beginning of the game, but yeah. So it's like fiddly stuff I that I think- wish it was that swingy at the end of the game. I, yeah, I mean, I feel like the design needs to be like more and more reliable the more time and energy you've put into your character. So if it's going to take you four hours to make a new character, yeah. you should have slightly more time to like get yourself out of a bad situation. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know the the stuff. I think the stuff that bothers me about it is things that I think or hope they'll they'll design out of in the next edition of the game. And for now, I'm okay. Like I know I'm comfortable enough with the game and with design in general to like ignore it and do my own thing but for new gms i don't like i don't do it stay away from that shit it's bad for you <laughs> so one of the things shifting gears a little bit and uh -huh. getting into that uh how dungeon world talks to gms uh one of the th I, I think that dungeon world was the first game that just outright broke uh my existing relationship between a gm and players and it's particularly coming out of that fourth edition era where, you know, 80% of the game was me fighting them with monsters on a grid yeah. and, and thinking tactically about how those monsters were going to fight them. And then getting into, you know, the, the, the principles that you have in Dungeon World for, for game masters. And it's like, be a fan of the characters, play to see what happens, you know, draw maps and leave blanks. It's this very, you know, we are there to watch the characters do awesome things, not to just fight them with a monster. Mm -hmm. And and I think that that, um, it, like I said, for me, just completely reshaped how I think about being a, a, a DM, a GM and a DM, mm -hmm. right? Um, can, you, can you talk a little bit more about how that philosophy came about and, and where that got codified, how that got yeah. codified in the game? Yeah, yeah, totally. So like like with most of the good stuff in Dungeon World, we stole it from Apocalypse World. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, so so Apocalypse World's principles and agenda exist so that Vincent can tell you, do these things. And if you do these things, you will play the game that I designed. And you will probably have some approximation of the experience I would like you to have in exchange for the money you paid me for the game. Like, that's how we, we enact that, that situation. For us, we just took what Vincent was already saying, looked at the things about Apocalypse World that we loved and we thought were going to apply nicely to the rollicking fantasy adventure we were trying to build. And then we tweaked either the wording or added new agendas or principles uh, and rebuilt it so that we could tell uh, kind of as a set of prompts and, and protocols, DMs do this stuff, right? Like do these things and in doing these things, you will, you will trigger the fiction to behave in, in certain ways and your players will respond in which ways you can come back to them with more moves and just keep following this protocol. Uh, and all of it was built, the entire design is built around that very specific and intentional, like teaching players to, to have that, that experience that we want. And I think that there's a lot of people who are already playing a Dungeon World style D&D game. Like whenever we hear people say like, you know, we played for four, we played D&D for four hours and we only rolled the dice like two times. I'm like, well, you, you're only kind of playing D&D at that point, but you obviously care deeply about describing your characters, doing fun and cool stuff. Dungeon World's rules will step in and be like, cool, I like the sound of that cool thing that you were saying. What would happen if this, that, or the other thing happened as a result, right? So we, we give players branching opportunities to continue their, their narration of their cool shit, but we, we have the rules step in and complicate things because that's where like complication and hard choices where games exist.
So that's that was kind of the the impetus for all of the principles and the agendas, just to say, this is what our game is about. We're going to put a stake in the ground and say, this is it. Follow these these maxims, and you will you'll get the game that we want. And again, all, all of that stuff just came from uh, from learning from Apocalypse World. Yeah, and 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 yeah, just just knowing that like the difference for me, and I'm still fighting it. Like even years years in, in into this this years into fifth edition, right? Yeah. Running hundreds of games, and I still fight the like the difference between wanting to throw monsters that are really gonna push the characters to the to the limit, vice. Yeah throwing monsters out there that are going to make the characters look awesome right no like, they're the same they're totally the same so if you're if you're running part of the part of the assumed like built-in paradigm of of dungeons and dragons is that the characters in dnd cannot possibly be at their maximum coolness without having monsters to challenge them without sure. having challenging monster encounters so doing that you are being a fan of those characters by saying i get it you only really have like a couple of tricks and one of those is fight monster here is monster fight Right. And so there is there's a degree of being a fan of the characters when you put them in situations that challenge them because you want to see them and their players win or lose on on this this choices that they make. Right. It just happens to be that in Dungeon World, the choice is what do you do? And in in um, D&D, the choice is it's your turn. What are you going to do with it? Right. Right. So it's I think they're they're fundamentally aimed at the same stuff. And if you if you read the non rule stuff in D&D, there is a lot of like we're telling a cool story together and like we just everybody wants to get their turn to like say something cool and here are some rules for figuring out what to do when you're not sure who gets what but D&D just has this very granular specific combat subset and the characters have a bunch of very granular specific tools for fighting uh dungeon world treats fighting pretty much like everything else mm -hmm. uh, even though the characters are in a lot of ways still pretty murder hobo right <laughs> Because yeah, that's like, it's, just, part of the, it's part of the genre, right? We couldn't just be like, it's a game of fantasy right. adventure where nobody fights anything. Dealing with palace intrigue. Yeah, which, <laughs> and this is a thing, and this is, I blame, I blame the like marketing department of Dungeons and Dragons on this. Um, the, every time someone says you can do anything with D&D, like you want to do a palace intrigue game, Dungeons right. and Dragons. And I'm like, get out of here that is a lie right stop lying to people like you can't do game of thrones with pathfinder it just doesn't work like i don't know if you ever read game of thrones but there's not a lot of five foot steps in that <laughs> so it's you know it's it's tricky because i think that it behooves them as a business to say you can do anything right right it's dungeons and dragons fantasy adventure of all shapes and sizes right. we're only going to give you mechanisms for certain things right right yeah, and and so so getting back earlier on the idea of of like the difference in in the threats or the the encounters that we throw at characters. To me, the shift was um, I know that I have a strong cleric in my group, so when I throw a lich at them, the lich better have a way to be sure not to get turned. Versus, yeah. I have a strong cleric. I'm going to throw a hundred skeletons at them so I can watch him hit it with turn undead and destroy ninety five of them. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, it's well, be so awesome for him to destroy 95 skeletons and that's and that's the thing is like i think it's balancing that because a, a big misinterpretation in or the, why not the, both right yeah i mean the lich <laughs> is gonna have all these skeletons right. they're just laying around like i mean the, the thing that people misinterpret a lot or, or misunderstand about uh be a fan of the characters doesn't mean like let them have whatever they want right like i don't know about you but if i if i watch a movie or a tv show or I read a book where the main character just gets everything they want that doesn't yeah, make that's, them seem that's, cool. that's called yeah it's boring yeah. it's super boring and it's like <laughs> great cool quoth is perfect at everything i guess right. fun 
um, in the being a fan of some, sometimes being a fan of a character and we all as game masters have different ways. Like for me personally, being a fan of a character is just pummeling the living shit out of them until they wish they were dead and then watching them crawl <laughs> back from that. Right. Be like, everyone you love is dead or captured by your enemies. Uh, your former friends hate you. And, uh, both of your eyes just got sucked out by a monster. <laughs> what are you going to do? And they're like, all right go time yeah. right? like watching watching characters bounce back from suffering uh is is so so important to me um but that's not the case for everybody some people their their version of being a fan is a lot less like brutal than mine and that's that's part of the game right that's part of that initial discussion and part of how you engage with it in that that early stuff right yeah and, and I, I think dungeon world is like i was reading the re reading the intro uh, just before the show and it was pretty clear that like you know your job is to put the characters in really rough situations and watch sure. them fight their way out like that's mm -hmm. you know so the whole like be fans of the characters like you say is not give them vorpal swords all the time it's yeah. you know right push them push them to the edge as as much as you can and yeah, yeah i think like i've been running tomb of annihilation and if anything is going to push characters to the edge it's been that one so um yeah I mean, it's, yeah, it's a whole, it's a whole thing. Cause like D&D struggles with this and, and honestly, like D&D is struggling, especially with this as things like Twitch and live streamed campaigns and, and all of those things start to, to take the four because it's fun to play a game when, uh, when your life is on the line. But if you were also playing a game that is a show people have a hard time when it's like, well, you just randomly got killed by like some goblins and this yeah. character is just gone. <laughs> like, that's how it goes. Um, I think, yeah, D&D &D, uh, struggles with how important or not important and like how lethal or not lethal their like death stuff is. Right. And, and it's a topic that comes up over and over and over. Yeah, I've been having a lot of trouble with that, that, that very topic with, with Tomb of Annihilation that I, I, am, I am an easy DM. I rarely, rarely, rarely kill characters and... You know, my, my players are generally pretty happy with that. And then I go into the tomb and it's like, oh my God, you know, like the, the, the number of potential deaths is high. And I'm like, I'm like, if my wife's character dies, I'm going to cry. Like, I love that <laughs> right. character and I will well, be and heartbroken. The, the game gives you no real outs. Like there's a couple of like, you can cast spells to bring yourself back to life and stuff. And that's, yeah. that's cool, but that can be difficult. And you're in a position where as a GM, there's a bunch of stuff that's like, well, you could use this system for like grievous injuries instead but they're not really great either. And I think that this idea of being narratively attached to your character and having to pay narrative consequences for those characters, like for us, it's, it's last breath, right? Where it's like, yes, you can die, um, but probably, according to the math, probably you'll have to make a deal with death or, or you can choose to quit, right? So your character will come back, but your character comes back different and changed. Now you have a new interesting thing to pursue, right? Death might be like, cool, I can, I'll return you to life, but you owe me, you owe me 10 souls by, <laughs> by you know, St. Swiven's Day. Um, but D&D doesn't really have a lot of that because death isn't a narrative consequence in D&D. It's a mechanical consequence, right? Dying in Dungeons and Dragons isn't like, I chose to sacrifice myself for the greater good. It's like I got stomped on by a war elephant and I failed my death saves. <laughs> it's a mechanical consequence. So it often doesn't feel attached to the narrative stuff in your game. So you lose all the fun backstory stuff because you rolled bad or because you had a bad luck in your, in your mechanical interaction. So I think those two things are, are very separated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so, so one of the, you know, there's, there's so much, there's so much to love in dungeon world. It's hard to, hard to focus on, on particular things, but one of them is fronts. 
Uh, again, another concept that I know was in Apocalypse World with the, mm -hmm. the, the, the Doomsday Clock and, and things like that. Um, in 2012, I think this is before, I think right or right during the playtest, the D&D the playtest, uh, Mike Merle said that Dungeon World's concept of fronts improved his D&D games immeasurably. You know, this is like you say, one of the many areas where the yeah, design team... It'd the be super, team of D&D was clearly paying attention. Listen, like, it'd be super cool if Mike Merles had said that, I don't know, in the player's handbook somewhere. That'd be, <laughs> that'd be fun. Uh, I can think of a few other games that maybe they could shout out, but I know there's liability <laughs> issues. And then if you, you know, you thank somebody for something, maybe they're going to get on you for money. Sorry, Hasbro. Um, <laughs> but also, like, Dungeon World is Creative Commons license. So you could just, you could have just taken it. <laughs> we would have just given it to you. But also, like... You know what? It's it's fine, and the the fact that it's Creative Commons means that anytime anybody is looking for a tool to help make role playing or GMing in Dungeons and Dragons easier, that that fronts are available as an ostensible piece of of uh, Dungeon World that they can just jam in there. I I all of my GM prep for Dungeons and Dragons uses fronts now because I want the worlds to feel organic and um, sort of forward uh, forward momentum, right? I want them to feel like they are. Uh, they're, they're moving whether the players are acting on this stuff or not. Um, and so for me, they're an invaluable tool that I've just like plugged into, into every game. Um, they're the one part of Dungeon World that I think like really needs a, like a rewrite because I think a lot of people are confused about how they work. And then when I show them, when I like do a video, they're like, oh, the text doesn't say that at all. <laughs> like, That's fair. That's fair. It's the one part that I would, I would definitely like rewrite um, but for now, uh, hopefully I have, there's enough material, uh, showing how I use it for like court of swords that, uh, that people will be able to, to look at, can, but can you, can it, you it does definitely change one of your fronts. Yeah. So like in, uh, in court of swords, uh, which is our, we've, we're almost at a hundred episodes. It's a five E D and D show we do for role play. Um, every time there is a, uh, like a major start of an arc or, uh, something like that, I'll, I'll write a quick front. And a front is just a list of things that will happen. They're just, it's a list of things that will happen. And when they happen, something very bad has occurred. So you'll, you'll start with like the first least bad thing. This is the beginning of the threat. And then slowly escalate that. So it could be like um, spot, uh, uh, tribes uh, in the north begin spotting uh, orcs, uh, they, the signs of orcs. They find uh, orcish arrows uh, in a tree or whatever. So, and then you could say, um, the, uh, the orc, uh, war an orc war chief rises and begins uniting the clans. Then the clans are all united and then they attack some of the outlying villages. And then in the end, the last front item could be, uh, orcs swarm over, uh, over the Northern mountains and, uh, begin rampaging across the world. And the, the doom, the thing at the very end is cool. Orcs are killing everybody. Like you have a massive orc <laughs> problem that cannot be fixed now. Right. Um, but they can be little things too. Like we had, we had a player who uh, their character joined the party. The party ended up doing a bunch of very bad things. And the character was like, I can't be friends with them anymore. And in fact, I would like to stop them from doing these things. So I'm going to leave. And there was a kerfuffle and they left. And I created a new front that was, this character was a druid. And I was like, oh, cool. The forest has been alerted to the bad stuff that's going on. I'm going to create a front. And now the players have to deal with not only their own evil machinations, but they have to deal with the fact that I've started this new, as you mentioned, like countdown clocks, this new clock for the, the power of the woods. It's going to like oppose them. Um, and it's a really nice way to make your game feel like a bunch of spinning plates mm -hmm. where if the players ignore something, that plate will fall. And then when it breaks, like an ancient dragon will wake up and kill everybody. So you got to like try to focus on one thing, acknowledging that there are consequences to your focus, 
or as players kind of like run around trying to make sure that the world isn't going to fall apart when you ignore uh, these these fronts as they advance. It's not for every game. Um, I like it because that's my style, right? I like being like, oh, cool, congratulations on your success. But while you were succeeding, two other things went very bad. <laughs> right? always, right? That's, that's something fine. that I really like. Yeah, but if you wanted a game that felt a little bit more like lighthearted and not necessarily as like anxiety inducing, where you're like, well, cool, we got to pick one of these eight horrible things that are going to befall the world. Mm -hmm. um, you probably wouldn't necessarily want to use fronts because they're like with much of what came from Apocalypse World, they're about creating momentum. They're about creating like everything is always moving forward all the time. And no matter what you do, things are happening. Um, which I like, but maybe you want a game that doesn't feel like you're having a panic attack. So, right. Yeah. I had a, uh, I, I think one of the, one of the times when I ran fronts was um, there's a D and D next adventure called legacy of the crystal shard set in Icewind Dale, yep. the Icewind Dale region. And there's three major activities. There's like a car Kessel, the evil wizard. There's the ice witch um, of uh, whatever the ice witch God's name is. And Oral, um, I think Oral, Yeah. And uh, there's the Arcane Brotherhood and their craziness. And I remember like we and I had all the fronts were like moving forward and you had to pick like which one are you going to slow down. But while you're slowing that one down, the other two are escalating, you know, and yeah. and I remember I had a player who was like, I know that I had always talked about how much I wanted to play a game that was this dynamic and I fucking hate it. Right. Well, <laughs> like it were, does. It does put you in that position where, and they're called fronts for a reason because you can't win a war on multiple fronts, right? right? Like they're called that because that's how you fight. And it's like you pick a front and you 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 settle in and you you fight it, or you're forced to run around and like you're either exhausted at the end of it or you realize like you've lost things. But again, I think that that all kind of ties into the idea that role playing games that are dynamic that have this idea of like consequence and failure tend to be more. I don't want to say real because realism is a stupid thing to, to imagine in your games, but they feel like they have verisimilitude. Your actions are meaningful because your inaction is also meaningful. Yeah, right. Um, and I think I think that's a that's a that's a big piece of it. That idea that it's not a plot, right? You're not generating you're not generating a story plot with this where yeah. you expect the characters are going to move through step A, B, and C. You are creating these things that are growing on their own regardless of what the characters are doing. Yeah, well, and that that bit is what's so important about them and, and how fronts, if you're if you're like familiar with Vincent's older games, fronts are a, a, an advancement or a, a reimagining of the towns from Dogs in the Vineyard because Dogs in the Vineyard has you create a situation in the town and part of that is saying what would happen if the PCs didn't show up? Like if the player characters don't come here and fix things or make it worse or intervene in any way, what would happen, right? And fronts in a lot of ways are like, if the PCs didn't exist, imagine you have like a terrible lich who has risen from the grave and wants to get revenge on the right. Church of Light. How would he go about that? How would right. this terrible lich go about uh, suborning the light and, and snuffing out the sun and killing all life on the planet? Make six things. That's happening now. And then you can hint at the players, and this is where soft moves and hard moves come in, where like you want to illustrate to the to the players things are happening, and if you don't get in the way, if you don't do something, it'll just keep getting worse. So while they're dealing with the rampaging orc tribes, you can say, you know, you you come across this this frost riddled corpse uh, bearing the mark of a long forgotten lich, and if they're like okay, we need to go investigate this. You're like, cool, the orcs continue to rampage. Or, <laughs> right. if, they're like, or if they're like, we're going to stay and fight the orcs, it's like, okay, you just ignore that lich clue. I'll just, I'll just tick off another box. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a way to make the world feel dynamic and to adjust the sort of intensity of the player's actions in the world. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, they don't always have to be big world ending things. Like if your game is small scale, if your game is like more uh, romantic and cartoony than it is a blood soaked heavy metal album, um, you can make them small and, and the impending doom can just be something inconvenient, right? Like the, another band of adventurers gets the job you wanted because right. you were busy doing something else. Or like the, the prince of Hotsburg falls in love with somebody else because you, princess sword battle, you were off <laughs> fighting orcs. And now, he, now he's married to this other lady and he doesn't like you anymore because you're dangerous because right. you weren't there. You didn't stay in town. So, it, you know, you can adjust this idea, but they're really just... Your, your shoulders are too big now. <laughs> right, yeah, you're too buff. And he's like, I'm <laughs> not about that. I need a demure lady. And then you just rip both their heads off. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, the idea is like, I just think of them as like spinning plates. And I like I like that in, in a, a GM uh, style. So it's for me, it's a natural thing to just adapt to playing Dungeons & Dragons. So we're uh, 53 minutes into our first half hour of the show, uh, <laughs> at, which at, at which point we uh, uh, go to our guardian angel, uh, Rudy Basso, and ask for questions that we've heard either on Twitter or from our Twitch chat. Uh, Rudy, what, what questions do you have for us? Yes, we have one from Twitch chat, Grant R. Ellis. What are three RPG titles published in the past two years that you recommend we check out? In the past two years, uh, Jesus, that makes the question all right. <laughs> Got to do a bunch of math. I know, right? Thanks, Let's see Grant. Drive through RPG. Uh, I mean, <laughs> like, I'm the obvious, the obvious answer, and I don't know because what are I'm some recent ones that have grabbed. I'm you? an old man now, so I'm just gonna go with I'm gonna go with the recent ones because God knows I don't remember when things came out. Um, but obviously, the clear answer to this question is Blades in the Dark. Yeah, like, there's just that. no question that that's that's it like if you haven't read blades if you haven't played blades get off your ass and do it because i need to, I need to get off my ass yeah blades heard about it all the time and like i need to get that and i have not yet done it. in many in many ways uh blades in the dark is um it's the it's the the follow-up to apocalypse world like blades is doing what apocalypse world did in 2010 where it's like here's a really great game you can think of lots of ways that you could change this to be a different game while still maintaining its core stuff and people i think are just really tweaking to that and they're they're creating their own stuff and so i think blades is like blades is the the yeah no question answer to that for sure um for me, the the big one uh, is the revised version of Stars Without Number. I love Stars Without Number so much. It is one of my favorite games of all time. And it got a revised edition, I think, like last year. Um, so that's a really big one, obviously, uh, for me. It kind of like the original Stars um, takes uh, basically the the stuff that makes combat in Moldvay and basic D&D uh, swingy and weird and lethal. Uh, and puts that into a sci-fi setting and then takes all of the uh, world travel space stuff from Traveler and puts that in there. It's a really smart uh, amalgam of, uh, of games. And it has what I would consider to be the other best GM, like lonely fun tool besides uh, Fronts, uh, which is the faction turn, which does kind of the same thing where it takes a bunch of large power structures and lets you as a GM kind of move them around and have them interact in a way that will change the, the world that the characters are in. Yeah, I think um, the, the two that are not not new uh, recently, but I've I've been paying more attention to recently are both uh, Shadow of the Demon Lord and uh, Numenera, which I think are on the like far spectrum of scale. I'm looking at them only right. mostly from their their approach to the world, and they are like the far ends of the spectrum of happy to sad. <laughs> <You> know, <like laughs> Numenera is this kind of wonderful open world with all these kind of 
you know, sort of wondrous ways of looking at technology and magic. And then, and then Shadow of the Demon Lord, you're crawling through the intestines of some dead thing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think now that I'm sort of pondering it, I think, I think Tales from the Loop is a good, a good example too, because Tales is a game that we don't see this very often. It's a game that is built on reflecting an aesthetic. They took art, like just like painted art and were like, where is the game in this? Like, where do we, how do we make a game out of these amazing paintings? And uh, it, I think it's really, it's really cool. I've played a lot of games where you play kids and I've hated every single one of them, except <laughs> Tales from the Loop. Tales, I think, does like playing kids in a way that I've never seen any other game do, but I've seen lots and lots of games try. And on top of that, it's like not a badly designed game. Like it, it feels like the light version of everything that every like small press RPG did in the last 10 years. Like clearly the people of Modifius read Apocalypse World and Blades and like they, they have kind of taken bits and pieces from all of those and added them to their game uh, in a way that I think is nice and, and like non-threatening. It's a very easy game to get into. There's not a lot of like, rpg theory going on there um which i think is good in that case i think it makes it a, a better game awesome yeah. rudy what other what other questions do you have from jh the hurricane as two forever dms what's your pc look like in a long campaign if you magically had the time to play Oof. Hmm. it depends on the game right like i mean i can't if i say like it's a vulcan then you're gonna be like, <laughs> you can't play a Vulcan in DD, dummy. Um, I mean, I, I we were talking about this. So I was on a panel at uh, I was, uh, I was on a, a panel at uh, TwitchCon uh, about role play, and someone in the audience asked, like, what are your what what patterns do you have for your characters? And I think I I make NPCs to one pattern, I make PCs to another. My NPCs are uh, are all like. I think I use the phrase feisty murder lesbians. That's my like my go-to for NPCs. There's always one in every campaign, even if I'm not trying to. But as a player, I always play assholes. Like always. I play people who are like clearly evidently on, on the surface, like just jerks. Because uh, I think it's fun to react to those characters. I love making the other players the good guys. I love being like, cool, well... You know, my 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 fellow gang members are competent criminals, but I'm Cantor Haig and I'm an asshole and I'm I get in fights all the time and I try to punch everybody. And by extension, I make all of you look competent and good. Um, so for me, it's like I want to play characters that that speak to the game that I'm playing and like bring something out of that game. Um, I played a, a death cleric in, in D&D the last time I played like a long ish D&D game. And my whole design goal for that character was, how can I win Dungeons and Dragons? Like, how can I just play a character who is justified in every behavior that will get me experience points? I want to murder anybody who stands in my way. I want to kill them as quickly as possible so that I can move on to killing the next thing. Can I win D&D? And I had a blast. It was a great character to play. But I don't think, I mean, I don't think I have like deep seated in my heart somewhere like oh one day i'll get to play this like character because i'll just put them in an rpg i'll just make an npc and then the players will kill them so <laughs> it's fine it's totally fine yeah i've had a, i've had a lot of fun DD characters that i play in the adventures league but i've never really had any that got more that got into like the, the third tier i can't even mm -hmm. imagine what it's like to play a real high level character so i don't know i I'll think i think yeah, I think Dr. Gregory only made it to like level six, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I, I've got a fighter. I have a cleric that I like a lot. Yeah. Uh, Rudy, we probably have time for one more question. So make it a real good one. 
Uh, sure. Um, <laughs> from Jayens now in Twitch chat, bourbon scotch or rye for GM lubricant? Are they acceptable when incorporated into homemade ice cream? If you put ice cream in your scotch, you are a heathen and you need to get out. <laughs> um, I mean, it depends on the game you're playing. I'm not a big rye fan because I grew up in Canada. And so, like, you know, there's bad rye everywhere. Um, I like I like Japanese whiskey a lot, uh, though my favorite is very, like, long discontinued. But if I'm feeling saucy, it's bourbon. They're all good, though. But keep, don't, don't you drink them straight, maybe with an ice cube. Don't put that shit on ice cream. Get out of here. <laughs> I hear. I will. I will go with the most boring answer ever and say, "How about how about just some water?" <laughs> water little, isn't bourbon. Just, just a little bit of water. That's all. There's water in scotch. Mm. Um, I yeah. realized that my entire life now, I drink only three liquids: water, coffee, and milk. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that means, but there, you got your trifecta going. All of my other, all of my other vices are, are strictly through food. So, yes. Uh, Adam, it has been a absolute pleasure to have you on the show tonight. I, I thank you for uh, the time that you spent with us. Fantastic questions. Thank you for making Dungeon World. I, I think I know for me it has changed how I look at RPGs overall. You have you have already thanked me with your wallet, which is all I ever wanted. <laughs> it is not. I did not give you enough. <laughs> for what I for the value that I got from it, so and well, I, I mean that's that's the glory of RPGs, right? Is that oh like yeah. you can spend eighteen bucks to go to the movies, right. you can spend eighty bucks on a video game, but you can also spend fourteen ninety nine on a PDF of a role playing game and yeah. never play anything right. again for the rest right. of your life right. and still have like a blast. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I was I was thinking about uh, Tomb of Annihilation, and I was like, you know, it must. I don't know what it cost them to make that, but certainly six figures, maybe a quarter of a million. I don't know. And I bought it for fifty dollars. <laughs> I'm like, that is a tremendous lever. And I played it for a year. You know. Oh yeah. A thousand Ooh. combined hours between. It doesn't. It doesn't make any sense. No. Like it's, the, it's the economics is off the charts. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's crazy. crazy. So and I, and I feel that way with Dungeon World too. Like I just oh, I'm yeah. using the ideas in this. I write about the ideas in this. I've been stealing from it constantly. And it. uh, it's a fantastic book. So it's, a, it's just a great pleasure to talk to you. And uh, I'm sure I will see you at a, a convention sometime. Yes, I have been known to frequent them. <laughs> and, and, and maybe, maybe I think there's like, if I, if I randomly select any Twitch channel, there's a 50-50 chance I'm going to see you. Yeah, pretty much. Just hit so, up that D&D category. I'm around there yeah. somewhere. Yeah. So thank you all to, uh, who, who came onto Twitch tonight and uh, hung out with us live. And for those of you watching on YouTube, thank you for watching on YouTube. And for those listening as a podcast, thank you as well. And everybody have a great night.